On December 2, 2015, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation hosted a seminar discussion titled, Myanmar After the Elections, The Challenges Ahead. Participating in the seminar were Thomas Vallely and David Dapis, director and senior economist, respectively, of the Ash Center's Myanmar program. They were joined by Lala Wynn, Ford Foundation Mason Student Fellow at the Ash Center and 2016 mid-career MPA candidate at the Kennedy School. This event was co-sponsored by the Harvard University Asia Center. For more information about the Ash Center, please visit ash.harvard.edu. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. My name is Dan Harsha. I'm the Associate Director for Communications here. Thank you and uh, thank you for joining us here uh, at the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation. Uh, this afternoon we are joined by an impressive panel uh, to talk about Myanmar's recent elections last month and its uh, and its its challenges ahead. Uh, we're joined by Tommy Valley and David Dapis of the Myanmar program here at the uh, the HKS Ash Center, and Lala Wynn, the Ford Foundation Mason Student Fellow at the Ash Center and a 2016 mid-career MPA candidate. Uh, with that, I'm going to hand it over to our panel uh, to to uh, to talk about their experiences in Myanmar, uh, to talk about the election, and to uh, give us their best guess on 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 how the country is going to move forward. Uh, today, December. December 2nd was actually a very interesting day in terms of cobbling together power sharing agreements. So there's a lot to discuss. Um, and then we will wrap it up with a uh, with light refreshments in the back if you haven't helped yourself already. Thank you. Uh, I guess I'll start. Tommy will fill you in on what actually happened. The 25 years ago, uh, Myanmar more or less had elections and ignored them. Last month they had elections and we are hoping that they are not ignored this time. The light that you do not see, the light we cannot see in Myanmar, is some indication of the quality of governance for the past 25 years. You know, uh, the last five have been somewhat better in some ways, but really, uh, Myanmar remains a very poor country. Um, it's sort of in between India and uh, Bangkok. It's, you know, there's three little dots there. One is uh, Yangon, one is Naypyidaw, and one is Mandalay. Those are the things you can see from a satellite at night. The rest of it, of course, is Asia, down to Singapore and up to Japan and so on. The, you know, you can ask a lot of questions. How did they get here? Why, after 25 years, did they finally decide to have elections again? Uh, that's an inter interesting topic. I don't know that anyone has answered it definitively. I think it was a combination of things. There, there were some concerns uh, about uh, falling behind uh, the rest of Asia. Some people that had traveled were aware of that. There were some concerns about over-reliance on, on China. Uh, there were uh, other concerns about political change. Some said that Tan Shui was getting old and he wanted his children to be able to live with their uh, gotten gains in the country. In any case, he navigated a new constitution which in 2008 was approved by, uh, really imposed is the right word, uh, by the military. There was not really a choice and uh, this was right after Nargis, the big uh, hurric uh, cyclone that killed so many people. Um, in any case, it was approved. It is the Constitution. That Constitution gives the Army a veto on constitutional changes. It puts them in uh, control of all the important, uh, you know, defense and border and, and immigration ministries. And, you know, some people have said that it removes the military from direct responsibility for governing. So if things go wrong, you can elect another government and the Army remains. But in, in fact, it remains dominant right now. The, uh, there are huge problems ahead of national unity, religion, development, uh, avoiding domination, macroeconomics. The list is long enough that uh, it, it is daunting um, even to people that are used to, to difficult lists. The next slide. The current elections are sort of interesting. There was a lot of monkeying around with the voter lists. Uh, you know, many people uh, that I know and, and even indirectly had trouble finding themselves on the voting list when they were likely to be NLD. The Army started shoveling areas that were likely to support uh, ethnic parties that supported the NLD so they couldn't have elections. I mean, there was all sorts of stuff going on. It didn't work, uh, basically. The, um, the ethnic parties were split. They were often three or four running in the same state. 
And so they split the vote, and the uh, NLD was the dominant party in many cases. Not every case, but most cases. There was an attempt by the, excuse me, incumbent uh, government and um, some uh, cronies uh, to use radical Buddhism uh, to uh, essentially scare people into voting against uh, the NLD, which they said was pro-Muslim, even though no Muslim candidates were allowed to run. And uh, that failed. That, that just didn't work. But it, it was a very aggressive attempt, and it was very well organized and financed. I didn't, and I think most people did not expect the degree, thank you, of um, the sweep that the NLD had. But I think now we, we move to the fact that they are dominant, for sure. 390 uh, seats is more than enough to elect the speaker and the president and so on. The, the doubts are how ready are the NLD to govern. They have not had any experience. Uh, they've been, you know, harried and uh, dispersed for many years. Uh, they've not had a chance to build up a deep bench. And uh, the military remains with huge influence. So the question is, what is likely to happen going forward? That's uh, sort of where we are. In order to analyze this, uh, we've been using a book called Why Nations Fail, uh, which uh, is written by a Harvard and MIT uh, group, uh, partnership. And, you know, basically they say that countries choose their level of per capita income by the kinds of political economy that they have. And they, I think their argument works best for middle income countries in a kind of trap where the economy has grown but the institutions haven't caught up. And so they sort of <clears throat> create their own slow down, uh, you know, institutional barriers and so on. Tommy, do you want to take it from here? My yeah. throat is getting... Uh... Uh, and the, uh, the, uh, one of the th most interesting things for us at the Ash Center is that uh, there's very little or almost no experience of a country going from where Myanmar is, a feudal oligarchy with, without much of a governing mechanism using a democratic mechanism to get to a middle income or start to have economic progress. So, you know, if, if, we're, if we're thinking about, you know, how to deal with governance or democracy in complicated places, you know, Myanmar is right in the front line. And I, I, we, we do like the Ashamaglu and Robinson sort of setup. David's caveat is, is, a, is a good one. No one, most countries that get to level and then switch from authoritarianism to a democratic form do very well. Myanmar has obviously tried authoritarianism for 60 years and it went in the other direction, created a failed state. So now this attempt of, 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 a, of a huge democratic victory and trying to, and trying to get that to, to be organized in a way that, that makes sense, we're, we're using the, the critical juncture here that, um, that, that's I think set up in the next slide which is, you know, Myanmar is certainly <coughs> at a critical juncture. It, can, it, it, it has a, a, a set of political institutions that want to have an inclusive and uh, economic and political set of institutions. The, as David said, the, the overwhelming support of NLD surprised everybody. I think it surprised NLD. And so they're, they're in charge for a while. And they're, again, sharing power with the military and that uh, the, the, the juncture that we're at here with the military is the military has to decide which side of this arrow do they want to be on. Do they want to go in the direction of a democratic, uh, a democratic system or do they want to basically keep the old oligarch system which sort of has dominated the political economy there for, for 60 years. And so what we've done, what we've done is we've tried to frame up for both sides, both the NLD and the military, this choice they need to make, particularly the military. Do they want to be like the Pakistan military or do they want to be like the Indonesian military? And, you know, this is a fairly clear choice. If we look at just income, you know, Pakistan, uh, Indonesia's income is close to Chinese per capita income. Pakistan's income is quite a bit below Vietnam's income. So that these two military dictatorships that took over under Suharto and others, they made a choice in the Suharto, post-Suharto deal to go in the democratic way. It's, you know, anyone, anyone who studied Indonesia knows that it's not perfect, but it's way better than Pakistan. And it's that, it's that model in this critical juncture that we, we find Myanmar today, where we're encouraging 
all the parties, the, the military, the, you know, the ethnic armed groups, and NLD to sort of, to go in this direction. And NLD is not necessarily, you know, as David said, there's, we, we know a lot of very talented people there, but they've never, they've never really governed. This is, this is basically the, the, the Pakistan transition. It has very, very bad numbers in life expectancy, literacy, income is really low. There's almost no, electricity is, is there's some, but not much. Uh, and they're, they're, they, they use terrorism to basically keep the system divided and, and without having a unity, without having a form of, of, of unity. One of the things that David and I and others have went to see the commander-in-chief of the, of the uh, Myanmar military and his top five commanders for some time, we said, look, basically, basically what you need in Myanmar is an idea what is Myanmar about? What is, what is it? What is it? What's, this, what's your state going to do? What's the idea behind Myanmar? And one of the, the reason we like the Indonesian one so much is that Indonesia has a fairly good sense of itself. You know, it has this thing called Panchasila, and although it's been complicated, and a lot of people that were sort of fighting Saharto said, oh, Panchasila, they, they, you know, they didn't, it, it, it was also used as part of the, the, the system of not having a democracy, but when they moved to a democracy, they unified the country, and both on, you know, in religion and politics and in the, the, the big three things that the Indonesian transition does is it gets rid of dual function, takes the military out of the governing of everyday, of the everyday activities of government and, and, and does just the military security purpose. So that was called dual function, they moved to normal function. They then did something that Myanmar also needs to do. They, they need to decentralize. They, uh, we use the word Myanmar now, we use the word you need to go to a federal system. You need to decentralize political power as quickly as possible. Indonesia also does that. Indonesia, it's very messy when Tony Seish and I and David first uh, took a look at the Indonesia program. So we would, people would go, we, went, we need to get rid of this decentralization. It hasn't worked. We want to go back to the old system. But when, we're never going to get the democracy back again. And sort of after now a decade, it has seemed to take hold. And the Indonesian decentralization is quite successful. The other thing that Indonesia does is that they don't do what the Pakistan's, Pakistani military did and didn't do what the the crony elites military tried to do in this election was to try to create religious tension to divide the country so that that would be the alternative. And, and you can see, you know, uh, Indonesia is a fairly successful place. Life expectancy is much higher than in Pakistan. A lot of uh, high literacy rates. Again, I think the income is even higher than that now. They've figured out how to share revenue. Uh, this is going to be a huge issue in Myanmar. Myanmar is a um, very, very wealthy in natural resources and, and hydropower. And uh, so that, that's, David, you want to do the dance? Yeah. Um, one of the main uh, resources beyond jade that uh, Myanmar can develop is uh, hydropower. It has over 40,000 megawatts of potential. Uh, one dam is 7,000 megawatts. And so for this one dam, I looked at three different contracts. One is the current contract, which was signed under Tan Shui, uh, a rather unequal contract where uh, a Chinese-dominated company builds a dam and then gives 10% of the electricity or revenues to uh, Myanmar and keeps the rest. Uh, and that's the 90-10 contract on the left. The second one is something closer to a contract of work where you say, okay, Let's look at your cost. Your equity is 16%. Uh, your you know, debt is 6%. We cover that. Uh, if there's a surplus, we take it. Okay, that's a contract of work, which has been used in Vietnam since the 1960s. So I'm sorry, in Indonesia. Indonesia. In Indonesia. The third is the terms that India has with Nepal for its hydro. And uh, you know, as you can see, uh, even under the Indian terms, it's more than double what the 90-10 contracts would provide, and the uh, contract of work provides even more. This is in the first 20 years. This is the next 20 years. In the next 20 years, the uh, difference is even more because you pay off the debt. We assumed a 20-year loan, uh, so it's only the equity earning uh, a return. 
and in that case, you know, almost all of the revenues in the last two go uh, to the government or the state, uh, and in the uh, 9010, only about 10% do. So, um, <coughs> you know, if you're going to have revenue sharing, you have to have revenue. And under 9010, you don't have any revenue. So that's a problem. If you're going to have federalism, uh, you know, the, the, the local governments need some money to spend for services, for investment, for infrastructure, uh, clinics. There would be very little of that under the existing contracts. So we have been arguing that renegotiating these contracts to something more like what happens in the rest of the world uh, would be reasonable and really necessary for a stable, uh, long-term, unified government. Uh, and we think it's, it's a key issue. Tommy, why don't you take yeah, it? I, I, you know, Lala's an old friend of ours, and we'll we'll go one more slide. Let Lala uh, uh, say her, give her analysis of the elections, uh, and then we'll get back to some of the other recommendations that we have. But I think the hydro thing is very important to us. David has just finished a paper up on hydro. We will put it in our Ash Center public policy series. We'll translate it into uh, Burmese language, put it on our website, and then we're going to go and use the hydro, the hydro idea of talking to the military and to the NLD. Let's see if we can use hydro as a way to begin to do these, these, these are when we want to change the direction of that arrow or keep that arrow going in a certain direction. We tell everybody whether it's an ethnic group, an ethnic army, the NLD, the government, these are basically the five things that you need to do to get that arrow to be changed. Once the arrow is changed, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be successful. There's other things that you would have to do to be very successful. But to basically, to, at this critical juncture, if you're going to go in the direction that everybody wants to do, a successful democratic system, you're going to have to have more autonomy like they did in Indonesia. You're going to have to share huge amounts of revenue, and they need to get the hydro thing done very quickly, and it needs to be on the table quickly. There was a, a report by Global Witness recently, which we helped with, that showed that there's, uh, in 2014, 2014, $30 billion in jade exports. That would be half of GDP. We think it's probably less than that, but that's a huge number that has not been in any calculation. The ongoing peace process did some of number three, which is what are the armies, the ethnic armies and the Myanmar army, how are they going to interact with each other? And, and five, we used to, we used to call five, we, and, and four, land, like in any reform, land is a central part of, of, uh, of a country getting started again. No, no country without a fairly serious land reform has taken hold and have been successful. And in Myanmar, under the current government, land accumulation by wealthy people has gotten worse, not better. So under the, the Tinsane government, accumulation of land got worse than even under the previous junta. And that, 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 that is a major decision that needs to be made between the military and the democratic forces about how, how that will be organized. I'll get you in a second. And lastly, we used to have five. We used to call, we used to call, we used to call it the uh, rule of law. And we said, you know, we're not going to have rule of law right now. But we can make some political arrangements. And these political arrangements have to, one of them has to be that we're not going to have retribution with respect to wealth accumulation. If we're going to get the military to go in a democratic uh, fashion, and we're going to have a, a way for, for the elites to participate in the society moving forward with a new set of rules. Too much going after wealth, uh, I think, would get in the way of that. And I think there's a consensus, I think, NLD, the Army. The, 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 the questions, we can talk about it in the question and answer period. What is the, what's the cutoff? You know, I mean, there's a lot of wealth in Myanmar. So the number, however politically you say, oh, you can keep everything over a billion dollars, you know, whether that's, uh, that's not unreasonable. Uh, people would say that, you know, why do we vote for NLD that they can keep all their money? But that's, that's the big issue. So th those, are our, those are our conditions that, we, that, we, that we've sort of researched and to basically change the direction. And after La La talks and we open up for questions, we'll use some of our other, what are the other things that we think have to happen fairly quickly? Ms. Lala. 
the famous Miss Lala Wynn. <laughs> Floor is mine now. Thank you. Uh, first of all, thanks very much to Ash Sander and Tommy and David for inviting me here, and not just to this talk, to Harvard. It's uh, like a dream come true. Uh, what brought me to Harvard before I, uh, what I did briefly, what I did back home before I come to Harvard is uh, for the past five years, I work for an NGO. It's an education institution. It's kind of a small school, uh, political science school. Um, in 2010 election, this election I'm here, so uh, I wasn't evident, but in 2010 election, I was back home and uh, my school um, with my colleagues, we have a vision and that, uh, it is a very small step. Very, it was very controversial. People, I received uh, hate emails and you know uh, all the negative opinions about me working for that election and uh, helping build uh, minority campaign, uh, minority parties, and you know doing campaign management, voter education, those things. But we did it. And in 2010 and um, in 2012, even uh, NLD party contested. In 2010, NLD chose not to contest and it was a wipeout. Uh, but in 2012, NLD contested and they went slightly and got some seats in the parliament. That was the beginning, I would say, in this new phase of Myanmar political landscape. Um, first of all, uh, I'd like to congratulate Aung San Suu Kyi, not only for winning uh, the heart of people, you know, it's a landslide vote, and for the courage that she has to carry um, a lot of burdens on her shoulders, you know, she is left with SHIT, actually, that the whole country is in, in a mess. It's very mess, and uh, I don't want to call it failed state, but it is, actually. <laughs> it is said a failed state, you know, uh, how can we go back to, to the place we were in 1915, 1960s. We have to, I am, uh, my first degree is education, and I believed in education, so I'm very strong advocate for education change, but um, what can we do? Here we have a um, new government sitting in the parliament with no experience in governing, and uh, a lot of the problems to solve. How can we help them? This is a uh, very, uh, big question that I have in my mind. And uh, when I came to Harvard, my vision is to help create a school of governance like Kennedy School back home. But that won't solve the problem right away. We need to we need to have the short-term, medium-term, and long-term solutions. And uh, I am very uh, excited to be here and would like to hear your thoughts and questions and help answer the questions. Um, about this uh, election, my friends say congratulations, you know, after their official results were out. Even before that, they saw me, uh, a friend of mine told me that I have a funny smile <laughs> looking at the phone because I was following the news and, you know, many nights because before the election results were out, we were excited and people were very politicized and very active and posting all the exit poll and, you know, all the uh, excitements that in their constituencies. So... It was a very exciting moment, but how to move forward is a big question. And um, I uh, really, I didn't understand back then, but now I look back retrospectively and I really admire the strategy that Aung San Suu Kyi used, that she created a narrative, narrative that is uh, the people versus the military, not just NLD party. You know, back then I was a little bit upset when she said, don't vote for any other party, not even individual candidates or nobody, just vote for NLD. Now that it's, the votes are not scattered except in some place like SNDP, Shen states. So it's, I'm impressed and now the country can move forward, but how can we help? So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that as well. How can we help? This is the, this is, this is, you know, we need a coalition to create a system that allows governance. So we, that, that's what NLD needs to do. They need to, they need to figure out how are they going to get this, take this new majority. This is basically a, you know, what elite politics is going to look like in a month or so. Uh, NLD will have the government and the parliament. Um, they'll need to centralize all the revenues and expenditures through, they, by the way, Myanmar today does not have a public finance system. So. The basic things that Lala is talking about that you would need to govern aren't, aren't in place. So they don't, they don't have a public finance system. The Ministry of Finance doesn't control the money. Uh, the money is controlled by others. You would need, uh, you would, it's very complicated. But the, the, the NLD needs to make some deals over getting a centralized system. And the military has to choose between Indonesia and Pakistan. 
I think the unelected interest groups, uh, that's the, basically the oligarchs. Uh, they used to control parliament. They no longer control parliament. They have billions and billions of dollars. Uh, and they're not going to just let a transition happen really easily. They're going to they're going to want the bad contracts. They're going to want the extraction. Uh, they're going to, they would keep Asha Meglo and Robinson up all night thinking about how they're going to write their next book. And, and they need to do something about the, the ethnic states and the armies. This, this is not, not settled. And the ethnic states, uh, they want a better deal than anyone has come up with so far. So uh, in the peace process uh, that took place over the last few years, as uh, Lala knows, these people that basically started the, the peace process, they, they never got all the armies and all the, and all the ethnic leadership to agree on what the deal would be. And this government's leaving a divided group of ethnic armies and uh, political leadership. Some want a, uh, the current, uh, a ceasefire deal that in the future guarantees some form of federalism. And the majority and the bigger armies are looking for a better deal immediately. China is quietly offering some of these states an independent deal um, just to make sure there is no deal. And, you know, that needs to be sorted out. And one of the ways we think sorting that out immediately would be to have the hydro have the hydro negotiated in, off the 90-10 way and use that as a way to move the Chinese relationship, which they obviously need to have a vibrant relationship with China, move it to a commercial relationship with China as opposed to a extractive colonial relationship with China. We think that's possible and we just want to get that conversation going. But that that's that's basically the, uh, the, the I think the, Lala, I think the idea is that NLD has to get a coalition together that allows for some form of governance. And they obviously have a, a fairly good chance of doing that. So let's stop there. Yeah, recently in a um, news media interview that she mentioned that uh, NLD will form an inclusive government, not only the winning uh, candidate, but also the, her cabinets will be, she will invite the real good people to be on the cabinet not only the candidates that are contested. Yeah. So that's hopeful. Why don't we have some questions? Yes, sir, you had your hand up. Hi, my name is Niyong. I'm a dual degree student between the Kennedy School and the Stanford um, GSB. Um, so I went to Burma a couple of times under the auspices of Amnesty International and the US campaign for Burma. Um, met up with Aung San and a few of her colleagues. One thing that struck me when I was there was hatred of the common man towards China. They called the Chinese government bloodsuckers more than once, and I hate everybody there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> a long list. Are you, you know, I'm like, uh, I'm just stunned. And you know, I had to tell them I'm Singaporean, I'm not Chinese, and you know, that that saved me some trouble. So, so that's one. You know, what, what, how how do you foresee the conversion to a commercial relationship when there's so much hatred uh, among the people for 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 the Chinese Communist Party? That's one. Second thing is um, the role about so like role of what? Singapore. As, um, so off the record, I mean, like, I know my country is wealthy because it profits off the backs of, you know, corrupt Burmese businessmen. I mean, yeah, they're, like, they're good at the crony business. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, they, they like, Lo, Lo Sien Kang, like, Asia. No, no, they're all a Singapore bank. I mean, like, Yoma, the Yoma Holdings guy. Um, yeah, yeah. So many of those cronies, you know, Niwin gets treatment in Singapore's hospitals. It's Singapore's a money laundering hub for corrupt Burmese drug lords, businessmen and everything. I mean, I'll get shot back home if I say this, but I mean, you know, um, you know what do you think the U.S. can do to pressure the Singapore government to clean up its act. Because, I mean, a country as wealthy as ours doesn't need to stoop so low to make extra money. You know, it, it, it's like making money of blood diamonds, you know. So that's the second question. Third question is about the Miyotsone Dam. Yeah. How is that coming? We might skip the second one for now, but give, me, so give us the third one. <laughs> <laughs> the, third one the third one is about the Miyotsone Dam. Yeah. Like, there has been held up a couple of times. So, like, the previous government signed it, this government said it's going to stall it. I don't know what's going to happen going ahead. Like, is the U.S. or some other Western power come, going to come in to fund the, the, the project, or is it going to just be stalled permanently? Thank you. The, what, what was the first one? China, you know, China. the ordinary Oh, yeah, I, I, I think they hate, you know, you know uh, there's a lot of hate going around in Myanmar. I mean, get in line. Uh, <laughs> it isn't just China. It's Muslims. It's 
people from other other ethnic groups. Uh, I, I I think the you know, it's the UN, it's India, you're not alone. I, I, I don't think it's China, Chinese people. I think it's China, you know, here's the problem. There's a, you know, and it's not quite a failed state, but it's a, a very poor, almost failed state that lives next door to China in, in, in China and in, in, in Thailand. They're not failed states. They're very powerful states. They're very successful states, and they naturally create tension because they're so successful. So it's, it's almost a natural economic tension. I, I, I think it's a manageable, I think it's a manageable one. On the dam, on the dam, they're not gonna build that dam. That, that dam will not be built. The, the, it's just too hot a political issue and there's an alternative to that which is there's lots of, you know, uh, when we say, when we, the reason we use hydro is not just because it's hydro, Myanmar has huge potential in hydro. I mean, this is a natural resource. Figuring it out, figuring it of this 40,000 megawatt potential, how to get enough of it to create revenue for states and, and not destroy the Irrawaddy Delta because you need to build dams properly or you'll create uh, a, a, a real problem in the agriculture. Th that seems to us possible. That all needs to be studied. Building, one thing China's really good at, China's, build, China's the only country that really knows how to build a dam. If you go to the UN to get a dam, it's going to take you 25 years to build a dam. A 25-year dam, not good for Aung San Suu Kyi, not good for NLD. China knows how to build infrastructure well. They build it really well. They, they are the ones that should build it. We need to get the deal right. They get the deal right. There'll be enough hydropower for a win-win situation. I'm happy to, I love talking about Singapore cronies. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. I think it would distract right now the discussion on Myanmar, but we'll talk about it afterwards. Uh, the deal, um, it's not, uh, the, the, the hatred is for the Chinese people, not, not the people living in the country. We are okay with them, but uh, it's not just the business deal in our mind. It's also the Chinese uh, government fueling the, um, the ethnic arms group to keep fighting, to create the unstable state. And uh, it's one of the reasons we believe, no, we, we cannot get, you know, peace, fire agreement nationwide is because of the China too. So not just the business deal that we don't like about, yeah, also the supporting arms to the military, ethnic arms. Yeah. These, the states, the, the, the China border armies are different than the national Chinese uh, army. So it's, it's not... It's not central China on the border. But let me just say that I think China's strategy in dealing with Myanmar under Tan Shui was deal with a dictator. You know, buy them off, get what you want, and do business. Yeah. And that was completely rational. I don't blame them for that. That's the way, if you're going to do business, that's the way you had to do it. Um, I think they're learning now that that is not the right way to work now. And as they get a new kind of relationship, which is less extractive and more commercially viable, uh, I think some of that, not all of it, but some of it will dissipate as people see that it's win-win, not win-lose. So I think some of it is a shifting of gears by, by China. Lincoln. Oh, this, this young lady here. Hi, um, my name is Serene and I'm a dual degree student with Wharton MBA and Harvard Kennedy School MPA and I'm from Thailand. Um, there are two questions I want to ask. Uh, sorry. Um, so the first... <laughs> except, except the Sean. Because Myanmar is close to my heart, so sorry, I have so many questions. So the first one is regarding the ethnic state. Um, recently we have the problem of like, um, you know, Rohingya uh, immigrants and, you know, we, we know that the country has been very diverse on this regard. So how do you see this problem evolve in the future, given the, you know, the country is moving towards democracy? Do you see more participation from these minority groups or um, is still a long way to go? Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on that. And the second question is regarding Buddhism and the influ influence of Buddhism in, in Myanmar, because it's very similar to Thailand. And do you see the role of, you know, the, the monk who came out and gave in quite... Um, Muratu, yeah. 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 
uh, interview <laughs> and taking the stance, which is very different from Buddhism values. So do you see more uh, inf yeah, influence on, on that? Gonna give that? Does the society evolve? How are you going to handle it? We're going to give Lala the Buddhist <laughs> question, and then we'll, we'll deal with the, the Rohingya question after Lala. Why don't you do the... Uh, the the, why don't you do the Buddhist question and we'll do the Rohingya integration question. Yeah, first of all, we'll do it a uh, very toxic leader. Uh, we don't see Explain him as... Explain who is, too. Explain who that is. And what his values are and so, you know, just yeah. say a little bit about it. Oh, very toxic leader and um, he used Buddhism as... Um, he was uh, actually, he was supported by the military in a way in 2012, you know, which is... Uh, the biggest mistake that the previous government did. Their, their intention was people would like, uh, people would favor military and save us, you know, please take over us, create a peace state again. That, that was their narrative, that was their thinking. And they supported Weirdu and he became very popular and very toxic. Um, and that is the one, um, I have listened to his talks. Yeah, it's a uh, hate, totally hate talks, and uh, it's totally against the Buddhist value. The, uh, we also have to remember that uh, people who listen, listening to his talks, uh, people like seventy-five percent of the Buddhist. Uh, Burmese are in rural area and their agriculture and they're far away from education and in all the country you know we had the gap educational gap but the thinking process um, how do you say that um, he used the Myobada Dadana Myobada Dadana is the race Bada the religion and you know Myobada Dadana he, he always promote but that came from way back um YMBA time, you know, before independence, it, it, the narrative was right back then because in in those time, those who were active in, uh, you know, driving the political uh, independence movement, they were the B Buddhist people in, you know, back then, uh, Buddhist people who went to the YMBA association. But that narrative is so old, but the, the, the chant that they keep using it in this time is really surprising and it's really selling. I don't know how we can handle this part. Uh, even the other uh, leading monks, they were not um, saying it against Wiradu. That was very surprising too. And that's one of the biggest challenge that this government has to face because this has to be clean up this man. Otherwise, we are in jeopardy of other, you know, uh, Islamic uh, extremism coming to Myanmar, you know. We don't want that happen at all because we are living peacefully until then, until that was created, you know, in 2012. So I hope that could be cleaned up soon. Uh, it's, it's certainly, uh, the, the tension was created intentionally for the election. So that the, the, the it was a strategy. Let's burn cities and let's burn towns let's create situations where we would cause disruption. This is traced back to, it's not traced back to the military per se, but it's traced back to the ruling party, to the oligarchs. They funded this hatred. And I'm surprised it failed as bad as it did. Uh, for a time, it was seemingly working. Uh, they, they, they made progress uh, with, the nor with the regular voter uh, for a while, and, and it was very, 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 very well done. You would, you would, if you were going on a bus, the, the bus would have a video. The video would be a monk who would come on and address the people on the bus. If you vote for NLD, you're going to have a Muslim government, and people were worried about that. They went so far. Okay, and the other thing that happens in Myanmar is that they don't, they don't do much right, but they got the telecommunications thing online a few years ago. So when Tony and I and David first went to, to Myanmar, there's no, you couldn't get a cell phone. Cell phone was uh, 1500 bucks to buy a SIM card. In, in this election, you get a SIM card for a dollar. Okay, so uh, when we first went there, SIM card was, when I first met Lala, you need $1,500 to buy a SIM card. In this election, you need $1 to buy a SIM card. And that 3G, 4G card created both a platform for 
the hatred, but also you're going to counter to it. So that the, the, the social media, they overdid it so much that they, be, they became a caricature. And so I, I think sort of by, I don't think it was anything, it was sort of by accident. The, the caricatures were so bad and the ruling party so incompetent, they didn't understand that they had created this platform. And I think that had some corrective value in the system. Lala can read Burmese and I can't, so she should come. The last uh, blow to the President Deng Tsai, just two days before the election, was uh, one appraisal to Deng Tsai came out, it was quite long, and in one line, just one line blow him off, that is, uh, Deng Tsai is the teacher of teacher or, you know, some sort of uh, guru of Wiradu. Then people were, okay, that's enough. <laughs> we don't need it anymore. It went, it went viral big time. It went over, it was everywhere, and uh, and by the way, they they did endorse each other. I mean, they, he was endorsed yes. by the by the hatred team, and it it, it hurt them. You know, where Arthur used to be in jail, he's going to be they, in jail they again. They took him too. out of jail, <laughs> yeah. so they can put him back in jail. Just say, yeah. You want to do the Rohingya Day? Film? Yeah, it's a problem, and it's a big problem. Uh, I think it'll be less of a problem with the government and if the military are are not pushing that way, but the. Rakhine State, where most of the Rohingya are, have a Buddhist government. It, it, it they won in that state locally, uh, so it will be a problem. Uh, there's a slow motion ethnic cleansing going on now. I think it's insane. It's immoral, certainly, um, and uh, I think it could attract Islamic extremism after some of the other uh, activities are are wound down. Myanmar does not need that now. <laughs> does not need power pylons blown up and hotels and so on. You know that isn't. But uh, if they keep doing what they're doing, they will invite it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And by the way, I mean, they, we talked, had dinner with people that would throw a million people into the ocean because they're not our problem. And I said, you know, could you explain to me? You've been living together for decades. You know, what's the problem? And he said, Islam is an aggressive religion. And I said, how do you mean? And he said, Indonesia. And I said, you mean the, you know, Majapahit 800 years ago? He said, yes, they displaced Buddhism 800 years ago. I mean, I said, geez, isn't there a deductible or something? I mean, you know, uh, but I, when you have people thinking in that narrative, it's very, very hard to have a conversation. And uh, I think it is possible. And we talked to quite sensible Buddhist business people in Rakhine that said, look, they're our labor supply. <laughs> we make more money if we work together, you know. But that only goes so far, and um, there's been a lot of poison. I mean, Buddhists killed other Buddhists bringing food to the camp. I mean, it was that bad. What, uh, NLD, uh, Su Chi at the end of the campaign, goes to Rakhine State, campaigns for a inclusive society, and NLD beats the leader of the Arakan party. And so the main... Arakan, Rakhine Party hatred guy was defeated by NLD in, in the main in the main center. So, so the, the, that's hopeful. Yes. I mean, if you if you want a hopeful sign, that's a hopeful sign that NLD beat. Uh, you mentioned the need for the military to give up some of their power in order for this transition to take place. I'm wondering if you could talk about how likely you think that is. What conditions need to be met for that to happen, um, and whether you think the NLD should tackle that right away or wait. Um, to tackle that issue, they they need they, they don't need to give up power immediately. They're not going to give up what they have immediately. The, the question is, can they work together immediately, and can can there be enough confidence building on both of the sides that they entertain the five things that have to happen? And and you know we had a, a very candid conversation with the military. Um, we said, look at you can do absolutely nothing. The status quo is death. If you if you do nothing, you're dead. And since you're the commander-in-chief, you should try not to be dead if you <laughs> want to protect your nation and you want your nation to have sovereignty. If you do what you're doing and you go the Pakistan way, you'll be a province of China. And if you want an alternative to that, you got a 50% chance of not being a province of China. So which one do you want? So there's, a, there's an incentive for the military to want to have a state. And it's the skill of NLD and the sort of skill of the commander-in-chief 
we need to figure out a way we're going to do that together or we're going to not make it. And I think, you know, I didn't, they didn't throw us out. Okay. <laughs> uh, they didn't say, you know, you're crazy. Why don't you leave? They basically said, we want to go to Indonesia. We want to learn about it. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be crazy optimistic. I'm not, I'm a practical person, but th if they don't work together, they're finished. And so I think, I think that's the incentive. The, the question of how much power do they actually have? I mean, they, they, you know, it's in, you know, David had a saying one time, if the military's a gang, there's no hope. So if, if, it, if, it, if, it, if it doesn't have the instincts to get out of the jade business, to get out of, of the extraction business, and to get out of creating wealth, and into creating an army that can, you know, a, a nation, the army's not really the main part of it, it's getting the economy uh, to, get a, to, get, to get some integration in the system. So I, th I think there's a big incentive for them to, to, to do it. Another incentive, I think, is uh, the security of the, the former guy, you know, the Tan Shui. Um, <laughs> um, the dictator guy, um, he and his family's security, life security and wealth. That will be a good incentive. And this is one of the biggest battles that Dosu has to fight in the parliament to, amendment of the constitutions to get rid of, you know, 25% gradually, if not right away. It, right away won't happen. It will be very um, optimistic, but, you know, gradually. So to give the security to the uh, previous dictator, that would be a way to start with. And recently, uh, there was a meeting with the, the grandson of the dictator with Aung San Suu Kyi, and it, there were rumors saying that she got the blessing from the dictator to be the president, you know, to adjust the, uh, the section 95F in the constitution. So we don't know, there's no official news yet. It's a rumor they're gonna let her be president. It's a rumor. Okay, it's a, I don't think it's a particularly strong rumor. I mean, it's a strong rumor, uh, uh, since you know. But the the, the they don't want there. Are, she has too much power as head of the party. They they she becomes president. There's an accountability mechanism, so she doesn't want it. She says I'm I'm sticking to the party. And so um, it's a rumor. It's a rumor that you know it's in the U.S. intelligence reports that they you know it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I would just add that. Uh, Drugs are a major problem uh, throughout the country, but especially in the ethnic areas, many of the ethnic areas. And, uh, you know, if, if I were a military person concerned about security, I mean, it's very hard to unroll that. Uh, you know, once you get the police and the army, you know, getting paid off and in on the deal and supporting it, supporting it, uh, you really need to work pretty hard. And they're going to have to work with NLD to get uh, that unrolled, not uh, against it. So I, I think that would be another incentive if they're concerned about the extent of, of drugs. I mean, it, in, in the Town G area, we were told 80% of the young people were on amphetamines, 8-0, which, you know, astonished me. But I, I checked it with two or three others, and they said, yeah, about right. Yeah, uh, my name is Lincoln Chen with the China Medical Board. We've been funding medical schools in Myanmar for 25 years. Tony and Jeff are trustees. And actually, before uh, the uh, change in the Constitution, we had quite a stable relationship given uh, exemption from sanctions in that the system worked. How corrupt it was, I'm not sure. But we got the funds in. We supported the medical schools. But since the transition started, we've not been able to do any this work. The, the, the current government? Yeah. I mean, the, the one that's the one about to leave. Okay. About to leave, yeah. yeah. But over that last three or four years, we haven't been able to do anything in Myanmar. We, we haven't even been able to give money because there's no one to take it or to run it properly. And that includes ministers and vice ministers. We've had the health minister here, as you know, in the health program, the a leadership program here a couple of years in a row, and the vice minister we know very well. But we haven't been able to actually fund anything in Myanmar because they're not organized. So it's an institutional failure. Yeah. And the question I have is twofold. One is, if it's an institutional failure, not just a governance failure, but it's an institutional failure, could the expatriate Burmese community who are loyal to Burma go back and make a big difference and introduce new ideas with more freedom, some some solidarity and begin to craft new institutions. I mean, in medical school, you could recruit some faculty. There are outstanding Burmese overseas, some of whom could be attracted back. So that's one question. The second is, 
in the international influence, the Chinese are a bad influence, but I'm wondering how much of that is from Yunnan uh, directly and how much of that could be corrected by Peking, which might not have the same interest as the next door neighbor in yeah, Yunnan. That, that's good. Uh, and then the final part of that is why can't India be brought into this equation because it's also next door and you know China without India there has just a free reign. And if India were there, whether it's dams or roads or anything else, at least there would be some competition and a little bit more pluralism for Myanmar. But we can, we can cherry pick from uh, Lincoln's list here a little bit. Let, let, me, let me, first of all, I think I'm not surprised about the, about the difficulty you had with this government. Uh, Lala is a specialist on trying to, uh, <laughs> under this government, trying to fix the education system. And, and that's why she's at the Kennedy School. She's not at the Kennedy School because the Ford Foundation wanted to give uh, the Ash Center a lot of money. We, she, 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 she had the same experience that you were having about trying to get a new institution started under this. So I'll, we'll save that one for her. I, I think, I think the, before this government left, I think they knew they were leaving. They have a terrible governing mechanism. They put in, in almost all the important ministries, they put in permanent secretaries. So they, they, they've, it's going to be messy for a while, Lincoln. I don't think tomorrow morning we're going to wake up and Dasu is going to have everything fixed. They put in a lot of permanent secretaries. But you, you'll, you'll get it. I, mean, you'll, 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 the, I, I was disheartened today to see in the newspaper that, that uh, the American ambassador, the, the designate American ambassador uh, testified before Congress yesterday saying, no, we're not lifting the sanctions. You know, your team wins. They get 80% of the vote. And the United <laughs> States, you know, well, we're going to keep the sanctions on. Well, what, well, why do you want to win then? <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, they're going to have to link and fool around with that, but they, have, they, they haven't done it yet. And so I think, I think they, they can do it. I certainly think a lot of the tension is Yunnan. I think the, uh, w one of the things that we use, the sort of uh, Tony Seish uh, analysis of why did China start the Asia Infrastructure Development Bank? That their bilateral mechanisms of giving aid to countries and building dams to countries, these things hadn't worked very well. They're not working in Myanmar. They didn't work anywhere else. So one recommendation that we would have to the military leadership and to Aung San Suu Kyi is, you know, why don't you try to use that idea of, of a different governing system, uh, g give a win-win situation, go to Beijing, talk to the, the leadership of China. We want to deal with you, but we want a different deal and we'll make it work. I think there's real possibilities with that. Um, David and I and, and Tony and Ed uh, Cunningham have had you know, interesting talks with some of the big power companies. They still want this great deal. By the way, so does Thailand. Uh, Thailand also has this deal. It isn't just China. Uh, EGAT has the same deal. EGAT has a 90-10 deal. So it isn't just the China deal. Everyone needs to renegotiate there. And I, and I think there's a way to do that. So. Yeah. Um, on India, let me just pick that up. India is there, but in a very small way. The part of India that borders uh, Myanmar is, you know, at, at, well, yeah, it has, a, you know, insurgency and is very poor and uh, they are putting some infrastructure in into that area you know for Indian purposes but you know helping Myanmar too but they're simply not that much of a factor uh, they were a lot of them left uh, during World War two when the Japanese came more of them left uh, afterwards because uh, there had been troubles with the Chetiars the money lenders and so on so uh, you, you know I Indians in general are not as, in spite of the hate China business. They hate the Indians too. They, they hate the Indians too. They, <laughs> and, and there are a few of them. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I just, <clears throat> India has trouble, you know, building electric power plants in its own country. And so, you know, the idea that they're going to be doing great things in Myanmar, I mean, they're going to be doing some stuff and, you know, we encourage it and we think it's great, but it's not going to be very much by comparison. There are one or two million Chinese that have bought identity cards living in Myanmar. Uh, so, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that means that people with good commercial connections and access to capital are dominating a lot of the trade naturally. I mean, it's not a plot. Uh, this is the Yunnan Beijing thing that you talk about. The sovereignty is already gone, Lincoln. At the top, sovereignty's gone. It's China. <laughs> about the funding, uh, 
it's not it doesn't surprise me because I had experience. Uh, <laughs> I try to put uh, one. I try to put uh, the first American liberal arts college in Myanmar. We had donors lined up. We got the agreement with the president. Got to give us the blessing and everything. We were very close, but uh, the credit sharing was the issue with NLD. With NLD, so it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, I. I'm guessing it might be the same story. Not sure because yeah. every senior Burmese I've ever talked. By the way, Pia, who is based in Thailand, handled most of our Myanmar stuff. Yeah. yeah. Senior Burmese that I've spoken with, they have a glint in their eye. They realize that they understand what you're saying, but you don't understand what's that person thinking because there's a lot of such so many other dimensions of his receptivity to what you're talking about, and whether that's the official line or unofficial line, or, you don't understand. So every senior Burmese that I've worked with, I have that problem. I don't really understand that person's thinking and context for what I'm talking about, which yeah. is very simple, yeah. not very complicated. Yeah. But obviously, it's very, very complicated within Burma. I, and by the way, Lincoln, on the question about uh, overseas Burmese, I don't, I don't see any barrier. It's not like there was a Vietnam Civil War. I mean, there's a, you know, when the losers laughed and it's difficult for them to come back. I mean, every v Myanmar family has someone. I mean, f four million people live in Thailand. Sixty thousand engineers live in Singapore. I mean, I think that the the expat expatriated Burmese community is much more welcome. Pretty necessary, frankly. Bangladesh, uh, you know, Eunice, Abed, all these uh, guys. I don't see a big. There's not a. There's, there's, there's not. There's not a. There's not a big barrier to that. I don't, I, it's not. It's not. It's not like a Vietnam Civil War thing or anything like that. Sen Suji did a very good job. Whenever she goes around the world, she makes time meet with Burmese and invite them to be home. Yeah. Hi, how's it going? I'm a fellow at the Kennedy School um, and I've been working for a number of years on justice and security sector reform with difficult governments like Ethiopia and Bangladesh and Nigeria, specifically to build the confidence of um, law enforcement, judicial prosecution officers to govern their justice systems better. And I had a request from the UNDP to help them think about a sort of program of work in Myanmar a couple of weeks ago. And it's a place I don't know a lot about and this was a really interesting um, uh, session for me to attend for that reason. I'm wondering uh, what your take is or what you know of the justice uh, sector. I'm talking kind of the ordinary everyday justice system um, and whether there are any promising opportunities to latch on to. Sue Chi's, you know, she, I think, overuses the word uh, rule of law, but she certainly, I mean, she needs to make some progress on, on, on that. People need, they, they, you know, part of when we say political agreement, people need to this is such a such an arbitrary society that the military is so arbitrary or the gangs are so arbitrary so there's a you know the the peace building industry is all over Myanmar you know they're they're in the states and we're gonna so I, there's a there's a lot of competition I think for uh, rule of law governing policing uh, type of you know activities the, the you know I I, I think the main thing is if if the if if the political system gets uh, open enough that they amend the constitution, you know, in an independent court system would really be helpful. We've given some. We've, we've tried to encourage uh, the military and uh, NLD to visit the Israel uh, to see the the sort of supreme court system that they have in Israel, which is sort of a direct court system as a way to a way not to have to fix everything that's already broken. I think there's a lot of people I think I think you should do it. It's going to be messy, you know, it's messy stuff, but it's a necessary thing to do and the inst surprisingly you can go and talk to a group of, you know, lawyers. I mean there's sort of sort of a a British legal tradition there. But I don't think there's any law. I mean the law is just uh, power. But you know the 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 trappings of law on the trappings of the British system and well-educated elite lawyers are around. And so, yeah, there's potential. In Indonesia, the army and there's police potential. had been very uh, much together. And after the military stopped running the country, they separated them and developed the police as police. And that made a huge difference in, uh, I think, the effectiveness against terrorism. Uh, because you, 
began to treat terrorist cases as police cases, you didn't destroy the village, uh, which was right. often... And that, that, and that may be how they integrate the ethnic armies, too, is they, they, that the police force becomes the, you know, has a, has a centralized operation. They separate the police force from the military, and they need an integration way to integrate the ethnic armies. And I think police is the one they're talking about, the, the National Guard slash police. But I think the police one's actually better. Uh, one biggest priority that this government has to do in the constitutional amendment is uh, the judici independent judiciary. Now, judiciary is not independent. The commander-in-chief appointed the minister of home affairs, which is the police force, and then the, it has totally separated power in the um, when this big decision is made, uh, judiciary decision is made, people think it's just the executive branch, it's not judiciary. they all mixed up, you know. So the, it has to be independent in order to make uh, everyday, in, in everyday practices. Um, I have experience working with the MOH, Ministry of um, the, the Police Force, on different occasions. I was a trainer, you know, uh, they ask for help and we help train them on various occasions. And they are also uh, willing to transform and they don't see themselves equal to the uh, military. They are very lower, but people are scared to them as scared hate as much as they hate to the military. So they want to identify themselves. We are not military, we are police, we are fine, we are good people, but people see, as long as they are holding arms, people see the, the same. And they want to, they have willingness to transform, but they need help, they don't know how they can transform uh, you know, their, their uh, police force again as well, yeah. So it's a big issue. <laughs> Thanks for bringing up. Sure. What's going to happen in the next three months? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll be what are you best. predicting? I mean, what do you, what do you see? Uh, is it going to be very slow or very quick, do you think? Ms. Lala? Let me think of an answer. So you start. <laughs> People ask me if I'm hopeful and who will be the president. You know, I don't have an answer. I'm hopeful, yes. But uh, who will be the president? I can roll out, you know, like three names. No. A back break of you know, I don't either. Right. Because you've got the permanent secretary. You've got all that we stuff. We've got all of that. All of that built in there. We get in there. The army um, commander-in-chief said as long as, you know, the the can, the president is has the work for the national interest, not for party interest, he is willing to work together with. So this is the big word that the Burmese, you know, media are coding a lot often these days, that as long as he or she is up for the national interest. He's willing to work with and compromise and you know make deal. Uh, Lincoln, I think she has. I think Sue Chi has to be. She's skillful. I mean, she's, you know, she she's she's got on the job. She's got a lot on the job. She's she she's you know you can see in the in the newspaper today. She's just you know she wants discipline. You know she's she'd make the uh, the she'd make the uh, Singapore ruling party. Is the the the, the discipline is going to be better than theirs, <laughs> uh, and she wants discipline in the party. And I think that I I used to nickname her. She's you know she's Tip O'Neill with a Oxford degree. And a colleague uh, corrected me. She told me, "Why don't you make her Shanghai Shack with an Oxford degree, <laughs> so someone knows who you, what you're talking about?" But she, she she has she she her party will do what she says, and she's Im imposing discipline on that party. And even today, they said. If you get caught taking a bribe, you're going to jail immediately. We're going to prosecute you as the party. We're going to prosecute you. So they're, they're trying to put in a government. They're trying to get discipline. She has to find a candidate for president, Lincoln, that goes outside of her party and has some mechanism to be something greater than she, she needs to find someone to help her. I think the big thing that she needs to do is she needs to find a, a, a person who can can deal with what she wants, but also a, a, she's not the only good bridge. She has to find, and in the, the bench that you're looking at to do this is not great. So this, it's, a, it's a very tough decision for her, uh, and I think it's a critical decision. I think the, the big decision that we, that we're, is that you've you got to get the resources right quickly. You know, we can have some mess on the side politically, but we've got to deal with this, this, this the hydro thing, the jade. There's a big macro problem we haven't talked about. There's a debt. There's going to be... Are the, money going if it's not going into the Ministry of Finance? It goes to, it goes to individuals. Into off, 
uh, off-budget military budgets. Off, it goes to it go, so even the, even the gas even the gas revenues go to a a, a Singapore they go to Singapore <laughs> uh, and commercial banks, and sometimes the the when they gets transferred back in from the sing so the gas revenues go to Singapore commercial banks directly, and then they give it back to another commercial bank in in the country and it doesn't go to the Ministry of Finance or the central bank or the central bank so the military controls that bank so that even the largest revenue flow they have now doesn't go directly into the budget that happens on grants by the way they went to Singapore <laughs> okay so so we, we we know a lot about the Singapore connection on the banking system but that that's what happens to it so I I think they need to go for a unified budget of you know a budget where they put every so there's no budget they need to get it. They need to see how much money they have. They're they're gonna be in. They're gonna. They have a foreign currency problem right now. They're gonna be a lot of problems coming up. Uh, she's gonna. I, I think it's better that that she handled that crisis than the than the current regime handled that they handle that situation. So they get the accounting. Uh, they get the accounting correct. But it's you know, it's a daunting task, and there's not a lot of people. The NLD has a committees that have been set up on on this subject. We you know we talk with them. They're, 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 they're trying. So when I was there talking with the NLD people, like they were pretty up forefront, uh, forthcoming in saying that they like technocrats mm -hmm. and that a lot of their guys have been in jail for so mm -hmm. many years. Yeah. And so I was wondering like whether there are people like Len Pritchard, you know, um, Low Energy, all the development econ people whose expertise would be useful in trying to help I'm with Lincoln. Um. <laughs> and then, like on the macro front, like I don't, as far as I know, there doesn't, there doesn't, there doesn't appear to be an IMF working group for Burma. Something that really struck me was the dual exchange rate in Burma, the black market rate and the official right. exchange rate. So you know, like there are other countries, like Singapore's the LKY school, which purportedly trains Burmese bureaucrats. I don't know how much training they get over there, but you know, given it's we certainly think the IMF does not have a handle on Myanmar. That they would have to upgrade, they upgrade the group. They so they missed the jade revenue. So if half your GDP is going somewhere else and it's not in your Article Four, then you need a new group. Um, we're recommending to NLD that they get the a former ASEAN central banker who who has done this type of stuff before uh, and. And oversee, you know, you can use the IMF, but you know the IMF is, you know, vulnerable now because you know, but China would be happy to give them a loan to solve this problem in exchange for the bad hydro deal. Uh, so you need some experience to do that, and I think I think the IMF's capable enough. It might be hard to impose conditionality. You can't have you, conditionality is difficult because you can always get a a Chinese loan. So you need you need an ASEAN, someone who's been around that knows the knows the central banking system and needs in in. There's some there's some people that, that know what to know how to do it. Regards to like other countries helping to siphon off money from Burma, what do you think can be done to get them to? Well, there's a lot of out, there's a lot of capital outflow now. There's not much you can do about that. I mean, they've they're there's already a lot offshore. I mean, this not you know it's not like it's in you know the Myanmar banks aren't banks. Myanmar banks are are holding companies for you know resource money, and so I I think a, a, you need to get the economy to work well enough where where and, and by the way, this government did not do that. This government, this government did not get FDI to go up or uh, city to begin working or get a handle on 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 uh, urbanization. So NLD has a big a big challenge in getting the economy to work. I think we got the economy to work. There should be some really good investments. Ms. Lala, last closing words. Okay. Anyway, thank you all for coming. Yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you.